Today we finish off uh, a series we've been in called Resolutionary, and uh, so I want to just jump right into that. I, I, I heard this, I read this article this week, and how many people love going to Ikea? It's a love-hate relationship, isn't it? Like, you like it because you can get some decent stuff, but you hate it. I hate it because I can never get out. Like, they, they just, you got to follow the arrows, and you don't know if you've, like, can you cut across here, or you've, you've like, cut across somewhere else, you find yourself in the wrong bathroom, and then, where is this? And then, like, maybe I'll stop for Swedish meatballs. It's crazy. They just kind of, they get you, right? But this, this just recently, the, C, the CEO of... Um, of Ikea, I think his name is Steve something. What? Oh, okay, something sweet. <laughs> Thanks, Agostino. Um, he announced this week, recently, he said, and he was quoted in different news pieces, that on a global basis in the West, he says, we've probably hit peak stuff. So what he said, we've probably hit peak stuff. You've heard of we've hit peak oil. You know, like the oil production in the world has peaked. And he said that we've hit peak stuff. He said, kind of jokingly said, in an age of abundance, we've probably hit peak curtains. That's, we'll hit peak curtains at some time soon. In other words, we have so many things. Now, this is strange. If you think about all the stuff that we, we, you know, we can pack into our house, um, we've got more than we need. But it's an audacious claim for the CEO of the largest furniture retailer in the world who wants to keep growing the business, but has come to the point of saying, we all have enough stuff. Interestingly enough, he wants to keep sales going, but he, they're shifting their business towards something remarkable, repair and recycle. They want to help people repair and recycle the stuff they already have. So that's going to be part of their business. Let me ask a question. How much stuff do you have? Is this, this is not my garage. Is this anybody's garage? How much stuff do you have? Did you ever, ever think about that? Too much. Like, what would be a number that you think is in the average North American home of all the items come up? So somebody did an average count, and they counted that in an average North American home, there are 300,000 items. 300,000 items from socks to shoes to fridges to TVs to little and big and all that kind of stuff. A British newspaper did some research and they realized that the average 10-year-old owns 238 toys but only uses 12 of them. And that, that uh, on average, um, in America at least, uh, people throw out 65 pounds of clothes a year. That's how much they throw out. Um, a, per year. So that's quite a bit. So we've got a lot of stuff. We've got a lot of stuff um, in our closets, in our houses, in our apartments, in our lives. But it's funny, when we're asked this a question at times, with, in terms of priorities for our life, and someone says, hey, why don't, you, why don't you invest in this? Or why don't you give to this cause? Or why don't you sponsor a child? Or uh, why don't you give to your local church? Or what about investing in your child's future? Or in maybe this experience that you could save for for the next couple of years? A common response to some of those questions around some of those priorities is often, I can't. I can't invest in that. I can't fuel this impact. Uh, I, have, I struggle to save for this. How often has that happened to you? I know it's happened to me when there's something of priority that I would like to do and then I say, I can't do it because I can't afford it or I haven't 
put aside the funds for it. And it's happened to me. And, it, and, and, and I think about this irony between all the stuff we have and the wrestle in our heart to do the things we want to do or feel we should do or feel we should invest in or fuel. So today, as we close this four-week series we've been in called Resolutionary, we've come down to understand that the word resolute means purposeful, determined, unwavering. And we started week one uh, really trying to reflect on our own lives as we start the year to how do we move away from the meaningless and move towards priority? Uh, How do we move away, as the scripture says, turn from useless idols and turn to God? And then we, we highlighted a few themes in our lives. And two weeks ago, we highlighted faith. How do we grow in resolutionary faith? And we talked about postures and practices towards that. And last week, we, we focused specifically on relationships and friendships and how we can become a resolutionary friend to the people in our lives. And today, uh, we're going to finish the series talking about resolutionary finances. And I'd encourage you to, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, to go back and listen to our podcast because some of the principles that we shared all apply to almost every week. We can apply them to each theme in our lives. But today we want to focus down on this, resolutionary finances. In other words, do we want to do more with our finances? Do we want to do more with the resources that God has given us? And I want to, I want to kind of chart it out this way and, and uh, work through three things. Our relationship to money, our reliance on money, and then our responsibility with money. So our relationship, our reliance, and then our responsibility. Now before we get into this, I want to read something from Jesus, the words of Jesus to set the tone. And some people might say, well, why should we read Jesus if we're talking about money? Jesus talks about spiritual stuff. And I just, I love, and I've quoted this before, Dallas Willard has said that he believes Jesus is the smartest person in the universe. So I, I affirm that. I think Jesus is the smartest person in the universe. So we can find truth and relevance and principles from him. And so here's um, John chapter 6. If you got your Bibles, turn to verse uh, 24. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen. And so listen as we... Uh, as, sorry, not John. Matthew. I even wrote John on the screen. But it's Matthew. Trust me. Matthew chapter 6, because I looked at it, I'm like, I'm in the wrong spot. Here we go, verse 24. This is Jesus' words, right in the middle of something called the Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour of life or hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They, they do not labor or spin, yet... I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, um, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pause and pray. Father, we, um, we invite you to impress these words on our heart, to speak uh, to us in specific ways for our lives and for how we are learning and growing to, in how we live out our faith and how we walk with you, how we follow you, how we live in our world. Please speak to us, God. Uh, grab attention. Grab hold of our attention. Grab hold of our hearts. Intersect our thoughts um, and help us get a picture of the deep truth that Jesus wants us to get here and what that might mean for us today and this week and ongoing. In your name we pray. Amen. And there's so much, so much parts of scripture that talk about money, uh, over 2,000 references. So choosing Matthew 6 is just one. Uh, and there's many throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, in the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Paul, and the Proverbs, and throughout other books as well. But as we, we, as we focus on this today, um, we're, we're walking through this particular text and just using it as a foundation to first talk about what's our relationship to money. You know, if we want to be resolute in our finances, if we want to be healthy in how we view money, use money, uh, work with money, spend money, save money, give money, our relationship to money has to be healthy. And right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes down and, and just puts his finger on this relationship that we have with money. And, and he takes, uh, just uses some strong words here. In verse 23, he says, you cannot serve God and money. He says it's impossible to serve both God and money. It's impossible to have two masters. Jesus understands the power of money and understands how possible it is for money to literally become a God. How money has the possibility of leading us and shaping us. Jesus wants to, to come down and help us understand our relationship with money and the potential it has to actually rule you and rule me. It does. I can tell you from many experiences how, how strong the potential for money has to rule me, to lead me. N.T. Wright says, money gives orders. It bosses you around. Money gives orders. It bosses you around. The word money can also be used in some translations as the word mammon, which means wealth, possessions, property, our stuff, our stuff, all this stuff that we have. That's what the word mammon means. So Jesus says you can't serve both God and mammon, both God and stuff, both God and, and money. And I really believe that regardless of how much you make, how much you own, how much you save, whether you're in a certain bracket or you're in another bracket, regardless of that, Jesus in this text is getting to the heart of discipleship. Because how we use our finances reflects, um, reflects how we live out this proclamation that we call Jesus Lord. We say he leads our lives. Because it, it unearths questions for us. Questions like, what rules your life? What rules your life? Or, what do you worship? What do you worship? You know, this was written in the first century. And we might think, well, they, they couldn't possibly struggle with the same things we struggle with. And yet Jesus uses this word that fits so adequately in the 21st century. It seems like in the first century, they struggled with this just as much as we do. 
Who's going to rule our lives? What's going to rule our lives? And apparently mammon, stuff, money had a hold on people. So today I want to start by saying, how do we get our relationship with money in order? Have you ever heard the phrase DTR, define the relationship? Just make sure you can define the relationship. Jesus is helping us define our relationship with money. See, when money becomes a God, you begin to serve its end instead of its serving your end. When money starts to rule, you start to serve it rather than it serving you. There's worst case scenarios of this. Of course, you can become a slave under money's rule, and that's possible. And there's, there's, there's horrible scenarios. You know, Have you ever let the pursuit of money cost you time with people you love? It's possible. Have, have, has, has money ever led you into debt so much that it's overwhelmed your life and crippled you and crushed you and led you to be anxious? Have you ever got the extra features on the car and then realized, I can't fuel this other, these other priorities in my life? I made these choices and, and now I feel like I'm serving this rather than it serving me. Have relationships ever crumbled under money's rule or maybe kids been abused or neglected or careers been lost or worst case scenarios, prison sentences being given? And of course, there's the other side of it. We can just want to save so much and never use any of it and that's also a worship of money. So big bank accounts, but no life. So here's this phrase I want us to consider. Money will boss you around unless you tell it where to go. Money will boss you around unless you tell it where to go. We're going to come back to this later. But here's this question, who, or this idea. See, who you worship can actually nail this on the head. Because Jesus is getting at this heart issue of when we serve God, when we put God first, then we realize we only answer to one boss. Only one person leads our life. Only one person we can call ruler, and we don't want it to be money. And so Jesus is saying, get your relationship with money straight. Define that relationship well. Don't let money boss you around, but let Jesus, let God rule your life, lead your life, and then money will take its rightful place in your life. So define, understand, get this relationship with money straight. And Jesus moves forward, and I think he helps us understand our reliance on money. Matthew 6 shows us a couple of things, and shows us what kind of life Jesus lived. And I think Matthew 6 tells us that Jesus lived a happy life. I mean, if you read, just read these verses we we just walked through. It it gives us the sense that Jesus lived a happy life. I mean, he had dark moments. He had moments, we read, where he struggled. We read that he sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane leading to the cross. He died on the cross for humanity. He sacrificed his life for the world. He, he obviously um, was pur- purposeful in blessing people and serving people. But this metaphor tells us that Jesus approached every single day with a sense of joy, with a sense of peace, Every single day without anxiety. And I think we could say from this text, Jesus lived a happy life. If, if we read through this, would we say that we approach the day like Jesus describes it here, worry-free? Jesus is saying, don't worry. Don't worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear. In other words, he's saying There's a po- it's possible to go through life anxiety-free or without anxiety, or with a, without a posture of anxiety. And it all hinges on what you rely on, who you rely on, 
what you base your life on. And the core idea that Jesus is bringing here is he's saying this sense where Jesus lived his life with the, the lively sense of the goodness of God. He says, my father loves me. My father is a provider. My father gives me opportunity. So Jesus lives every day with a sense of the goodness of God. He says, look at the birds. Your heavenly father feeds them. Your heavenly father takes care of them. They don't rush around worried, but they still eat every day. Look at the grass. Look how the grass looks. Look how stylish God dresses them. Look how beautiful they are all by themselves. They're not frantically running around or thinking about that. And then he says something. He says the pagans or the common population runs after all these things. And your heavenly father knows you need them. He says, so many people, just the common culture runs after these things constantly with anxiety, with worry. And he says, but your heavenly father knows you need these things. He knows what you need. Eugene Peterson translates it this way. He says, people who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. So Jesus says, you can approach your day with less worry because you know God and you know how he works and you know that you can trust him. So it's this posture of trust that Jesus has. Jesus had this innate trust in the goodness of his father and it led him to rely on the things of this world differently. In other words, his reliance on money was trumped by his reliance on God. It's not that we don't need money. It's not that we don't use money. It's not that, 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 that we, we, um, we don't consider what money is, but Jesus ultimately had his source or his, his reliance on a bigger source, and that's what he's encouraging us to consider. Who do we have our trust in? Now, I'm sure there's some object- objections here. You're probably thinking, but Dave, I mean, uh, like God doesn't magically put food on my table. Um, God doesn't go to work for me. Um, God doesn't do those extra hours to get that promotion. Um, God, hasn't, you know, God hasn't magically put $5,000 in my bank account. Um, maybe. Well, maybe he's happened to some, and that's good. We've seen these things happen. But on a regular basis. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? God, and you're like, well, God doesn't just give promotions to lazy people. Is that what God does? Is it just like, do whatever you want? Well, let me clear this up. I don't, Jesus is not saying, do not think about money. He's not saying that. He doesn't say, do not think about money or about food or clothes or career. He doesn't say, don't think about it. That would be silly not to think about it. We all need to consider that. He's saying, don't think anxiously about it. Don't think in a worried state about it. Don't be over-preoccupied and over-obsessive, over-concerned with money. John Stott says this about what Jesus says. Is he's neither forbidding thoughts or forethought, but anxious thought. In other words, Jesus is not saying don't think about it. Jesus is not saying don't plan. He's just saying don't be anxious about it. Don't have anxious thoughts about it. So we need to think about money, but without anxiety. And we need to think in active active ways that will, one, lead us to trust in God, and two, lead us to practice things in life that will will, um, destroy anxiety rather than lift anxiety. See, money will boss you around unless you tell it what to do. That's always going to happen. And so I want to lead to this next, this next 
idea here. It's our responsibility with money. See, Jesus doesn't say, don't ever think about it. Don't be responsible. He's just saying, don't think anxiously about it. But what does that mean? How do we, how do we think properly about money? How do we live responsibly with money? So in this first idea, to have this relationship, a healthy relationship with money where God is our God, not money, we have a posture of worship. And to have a, a healthy dependence on money that's not worrisome, we have a posture of trust in the goodness of our Father. And then here, in this point, when we think about responsibility with money, we have a posture of, of stewardship, a posture of management, the posture of, I'm going, I'm going to use what God has given me in the way that he leads me to. In other words, we can tell our money where to go. See, even though God's our father, he's not our sugar daddy, right? There's a difference, right, between having a father and a sugar daddy. Now, some of us would love for God to be our sugar daddy. Some of us say, man, the Bible says that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns everything, and the world is his, and everything is under it. So, God, if you could, be my, if you could just get me anything I want, that would be like a genie in a bottle. But God is our father. He's not our sugar daddy. So we must treat money responsibly. And here's this, this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2. As the early church started to uh, live this out, there, there's, there's this verse here. And I love, I'm going to read two verses just to give us the context. So here's Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, first century church, followers of Jesus. And this is towards the end of one of his letters. And he says, well, now about the collection for the Lord's people. That was the offering. So we don't do a collection here in terms of a plate, but people that in our church give fuel mission, give regularly either at the box or uh, online in different ways. But th- this is what they're talking about. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. In other words, this is not just for you guys. This is other churches are doing this. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that When I come, no collections will have been made. So he's encouraging them. Listen, you know, it's just normal life to make money, normal life to do what you're doing, normal life to, to, you know, feed your family and and think about life and spend and and save and all this kind of stuff. But he says, listen, uh, on the first of every week, keep some of that money aside and then put it together so that will be part of the collection of God's people. I love this phrase, keeping with your income. I think it's such a beautiful, practical phrase right in the middle of this verse. Because Paul doesn't say, um, hey, just, he, doesn't, he doesn't give an amount, necessarily. He doesn't, he's not talking about all parts of life, but I think we can apply this to all parts of life when we think about responsible, responsibility with our money. Keeping with your income. That's such a, a helpful phrase. Because it, it helps us realize how vital it is for us to take responsibility with our money. To have a good relationship with it, to, to understand how we rely on it or not, but also to be responsible with it. Keep being with your income. I think it's one of the most important practices that prevent anxious finances. Keeping with your income. It, it's, it's this word I love to use, and it's, this is the word, proportionately. How do we live proportionately with our income? In other words, how do we organize the priorities of our life? Now, I'm kind of stepping away from the context here of giving, and I'm just talking about all of our life. How do we organize the priorities of our life within the limitations of our income? 
Now, there's some people here in our church that would make two or three or maybe four times as much as I do. And if, and if I were to organize my priorities according to their income, I'd, like I'd be crushed. If, if, if I thought that I can afford their car payment on my salary, I, that'd be a problem. If I thought that, that I could, you know, like maybe plan for a certain vacation according to their salary, that would be a problem. I have to keep within my income. And it's the same way uh, that, you know, there's other opportunities I might have that someone else might not have according to my income. Keeping with my income. Now, Canadians don't do so good at this. I've done some research, and, and the research that I do every year often gets worse. <coughs> And, and it's kind of this, like if you can just put that up. Isn't that a cute little Canadian piggy bank? I love it. Um, here are some freaked out stats. How, how we all struggle to keep with our income. 80% of Canadians statistically currently in 2016 are in debt. 80% of Canadians. Canadians hold a 165% income to, ratio, income to debt ratio. In other words or debt-to-income ratio, they owe 165% of their income. So if somebody makes $100,000 a year, they owe $165,000 a year. If someone makes a million dollars a year, they owe $1.65 million. If they make $10,000 a year, they owe right, $16,500. That's the debt-to-income ratio in Canada. Two-thirds of Canadians would struggle to pay off their debts tomorrow if the rates went up. Now, let me freak you out. If, okay, so let's say you have a mortgage or let's say you have a car payment or something. So put that figure in your head. This is my monthly figure. Let's, let's make it easy. Let's say your, your mortgage payment is $1,000 a month and it's a $200,000 mortgage and you're paying 2.9%. So that's the figure in your head. Now, for fun, after church today, Google a mortgage calendar and just throw in a higher interest rate. Like throw in like 6% or 7%, and then get ready to scream because you're going to realize that, oh my goodness, this is what I would owe every single month? If the, if the rate went up from 2 to 3 to 4 to 5 to 6%, when, my parent, when Frank's parents were paying off their home, it was 18% uh, interest rates. We're, we're paying under 3 today. Two-thirds of Americans would struggle to pay their debts if interest rates went up. I don't know if that freaks you out. It freaks me out a little bit. There's a family member of mine that um, loves to go to Starbucks. And so I said, how often do you go to Starbucks? And often this family member will say, I don't have money for this. And I don't have money for that. And I can't do that. And then so, so I said, well, how often do you go? And she said, uh, just a few times a day. I said, I said what, what do you buy? Like I said, I'm a $2.10 coffee. What kind of coffee are you? Oh, I like the latte. So, so that means she's like a $15 a day Starbucks person, right? I said, what do you mean you can't buy stuff? Because this is why you can't buy anything, because you're spending $4,000 a year at Starbucks. Like, go to Cuba three times instead of having a latte, right? And so this is where I think we get just caught up in this trap of we don't have, we can't do. And I know that there are certain situations for sure, please don't get me wrong, there are certain situations in our church community for sure and in our culture that it's, it's not that easy. Like there's stuff that some of us are going through or you're going through or a loss of job or a difficult time or um, you know, a decreasing pay or something. But there's something here that we can look at that we're affected by this. If this is the culture in Canada, it means that it's 
potentially, the, obviously, the culture in our church. If 80% of Canadians are in debt, 80% of Westsiders are in debt, roughly. Maybe less. But that's probably the case, right? And I think we can all do better because when money has the po- See, money has the power to fuel your priorities. The scriptures lead us to be responsible with it. Not to think anxiously, but to still think about it. Money as a God, though, damages your priorities. Money as a Lord, money as a Savior, damages your priorities, damages your life. See, and here's the, dif- the, 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 here's the difficult thing. When, when money becomes your boss, it's not only your boss. It's not only money that's your boss. Debt becomes your boss. Consumerism com- becomes your boss. Um, temptation becomes your boss. Bigger and better becomes your boss. That's the difficulty when money becomes your boss. So what are some ways, as we kind of come to a close here, that we can be responsible with the, the income God has given us? See, keeping with your income. That's, this word is proportionate. It means let's live according to the resources God has given us and not the resources God has given somebody else. We can celebrate what God has given someone else. We can grow maybe in in the resources we have. But in the present, we always have to live keeping according to our incomes. And I think it's so huge because if we want to be resolute with our finances, if we want to be resolutionary in our finances, if we want to make a difference in the world, if we want to fuel the things that God is, is, is putting in our hearts, we need to be thoughtful about our funds and our finances. So worshiping God and trusting God is the foundation for an anxious, free financial life. But then there's practices. And so if we take that phrase, keeping with our income, and we just put this list up, this next list, and imagine behind every word, we added that phrase, spend in keeping with your income. So you would, you would, you would choose to spend according to your income, not to mine, not to somebody else's. You would choose to spend your funds keeping with your income. That you would, you would choose to save, because saving is something responsible to do, um, in keeping with your income. It means that you look at your life and you say, how, is the, how, how can I save for the future? If you have a child, how can I save for that child's education? Or if you have some, some dreams of yours, how can I save for that? And you say, how can I save in keeping with your income? Some people get like, they, they go way off the map and they want to save like they make three times as much. But some people go down to zero and never save. How do you save in keeping with your income? And then here, how can you give in keeping with your income? Don't don't give as though you have no income. And don't try to give as though you make five times as much, unless sometimes there's going to be moments where God leads you to do something extraordinary. But give in keeping with your income. My my general rule for this has always been, I've shared this at Westside, is just a 10-10-80 rule. Is, is, that, is that in keeping with my income, I take 10% and I give it, I take 10% and I save it, and then I live off the other 80%. And I think, actually, in our day and age, I think we should, we should consider how to even expand giving and savings, because I think even 10% savings might not be enough for some of us, or maybe there's something down the road you need to be saving for, but if you at least say, in keeping with my income, I'm going to split that $100, 10, 10, 80. And I'm going, to, I'm going to look at what I receive, look at how God has blessed me, and I'm going to live, I'm going to spend proportionately. I'm going to save proportionately. I'm going to give proportionately. 
But I, I want to, just as we, we close with these, these last couple of thoughts, I want us to keep this in mind. This is really practical. I mean, if the world lived like this, if Canadians lived like this, if we lived like this, we would drop our anxiety. This is ultra practical. But when we read Matthew 6, and we even read 1 Corinthians 16, I think generally we have to ask the question, what does this mean as a follower of Jesus? How do we follow Jesus with our finances? And what I would consider, looking at Matthew 6, looking at some of the teachings of the New Testament, I would want to just flip this. I want to flip this because... I believe there's something vital when we say, I want to be resolutionary with my finances. I'm following Jesus. I call him Lord. I want to put him first. You read any financial book and they'll always say the first principle is pay yourself first. Make sure you save first. They just don't put Jesus in the mix and they don't put the fact that we worship an almighty God who loves us and is good and is caring and... And I would, just, I would just hybrid those books a bit and say, give to God first. Flip the order to honor this, what Jesus is saying. Never, you can never serve two masters. Well, then make sure you serve God. Where Paul says, at the beginning of your week, put aside something for the Lord's collection to fuel God's mission and purposes locally, to fuel compassion efforts around the world. And then as Jesus uh, talks about living an anxious, free life according to our possessions, how does he end it? Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I, I would say this, that if we went back and said, spend, save, give, your anxiety would drop. But if you want the kind of anxious, free life that God has in store for you, you need to flip it and say, Lord, I want to put you first. And I want to give towards your purposes. I want to seek you as king. And, and then it leads you to, to, obviously, the next thing is, I want to save. Because an, a full anxious free life is not spending first. It's saying, what are my priorities? What am I building towards? What am I saving for? What do I want to bless what do I want to build? What do I want to invest in? And you can't do that at the end of a, of a three or four times Starbucks day. Can't do that. You can't do that at the end of like, let me just kind of spend first in keeping with my income and then realizing, oh God, I have nothing left to save. I have nothing left to give. So give, save, and then, and then spend. And then say, oh wow, I have fueled these priorities. I want my life to be about God's mission and purpose. I know he leads me to think thoughtfully about my finances and to save. And then in the end, I say, how much do I have to spend? And how much, what's left? And, and here's, here's an important question for you. Let me ask you this question. If in the last 10 years, your income has increased, in the last 10 years, I, you know, maybe it's happened in a year, but if it's in the last 10 years, has your giving and your saving increased? I bet that when our income increases, our spending increases right away. It's like, oh man, I'm getting this raise. I can add those extra mags in the car, right? Like, I'm getting this raise. Oh, this is awesome. Now we're going to like, okay, this is great because now we have a hundred bucks a month to go see movies. And so what happened, and not, not that that stuff is bad, but when we make those decisions first, we're not fueling our priorities. How many of you in the last 10 years, when your income increased, has your, has your investment in savings increased? If you make $100 a week, and you put $10 a week for savings, when you move to becoming a $200 a week income earner, does your savings go to $20 or do you keep it at 10? Your savings should go up. 
When your income increases, your investments should increase. When your income increases, your giving should increase. Your impact should increase. So your investment and your impact can grow as you grow. Of course, if it decreases, you have to make decisions around that too. And then think about fueling your priorities. And then the last little bit of this, because Matthew touches on this later on. He quotes Jesus as he talks about giving. And, and Jesus says, when you give, later on in Matthew 6, don't tell your left hand what your right hand is doing. And what he's saying is, don't, he, I said this a couple of weeks ago, he's not saying don't let anybody know that you're a giver. But he's saying when you give, let it come out of such a natural inclination from your heart that you're not so self-conscious about it. That when you write the check or you fill out a PAD form, or you sponsor a child, it's not like, um, okay, this is, you're not so self-conscious about it. But imagine you get to the point where your life naturally is a life of impact with your finances. That it happens seamlessly because your heart is already there. Jesus says, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing or vice versa. So you can be a giver that gives naturally out of your heart. That as your income continues, you, you just, it becomes part of who you are. So, so make these things natural. Make your spending, your, your saving natural, your giving natural. Put, make it automatic almost as, as the Lord would lead you. So then it becomes a less anxious pursuit. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close uh, today. And I want to encourage you because... You know, today, ending this week or this series with resolutionary finances is, um, you know, it's one of those topics that some of us, when we hear finances, we cringe. And some of us, you know, listening is like, oh man, uh, I don't know, I don't even want to look at my budget. <laughs> um, I don't want to see what I'm saving or not, or, you know, have I, have, have I been fueling God's mission? And all these kind of questions come up. But I think the beauty here is, when we can follow the trajectory of Jesus, get our relationship with money straight, make sure we don't serve two masters. Really take into consideration, how do I rely on my income? Do I see God as a good father or am I overly anxious? And then lastly, you need to ask those questions. Will I be responsible with my income, in my giving, in my savings, in my spending? I mean, I don't, want to, I don't want you to put your hand up, but think honestly. Who wants to become resolutionary in their finances in 2016? I want to grow in that. I want to become more purposeful, more determined, more unwavering. I want to grow more in generosity and more in maturity when it comes to how I deal with, with my savings and, and, and more discerning when I come to my spending because I can tell you every single day, every single week, if not every single day, we are faced with these choices. And... The way of Jesus, I believe, leads us to an anxious, free, anxious, free type of living with our finances as we become resolute. So maybe as we pray today, I encourage you to make some choices, at least first internal, and then maybe later on on paper this afternoon or this week. How will you become resolute in your finances? In keeping with your income, will you make a decision to invest in your future? In keeping with your finances, will you make a decision to make an impact with your finances in God's kingdom? You can do that today. You can make a decision today and then work out how you spend the rest. Let's pray. Father, 
Um, we're just, we're grateful. We say thank you. I know that all of us here are in different situations and some of us are possibly in a, in a difficult situation financially. But in some ways, Lord, we are all rich. We are all blessed. We have all had the opportunity to conveniently leave a warm house this morning and come to a warm building and worship. We're grateful for the clothes we have on our backs and the vehicles or transportation, bus, metro that we've used today. God, may, may you grow our hearts and our life and our decisions to become resolute in our finances. God, we pray that your spirit would be at work in us as we define our relationship with money. Help us to keep you first and allow you to shape and influence everything else in our lives. God, as we look at the life of Jesus, um, a sense of joy and happiness, void of anxiety. Lord, may we wake up every day feeling the sense of your goodness. And then, God, would you lead us with wisdom, with conviction, with determination to be resolute in keeping with our income. God, for some who struggle to put you first in their finances, God, I pray just for a growing conviction there and a trust that it will be a a wonderful experience as they trust you with their finances first. For some who who are struggling to, to work through savings in their homes, in their lives, God, may they see what you've given them and work these things through, God, for their lives. And then give us wisdom every day, God, as we spend the money that you've given us and how we use that, God. We want to bring this to you, God. We want to be resolute, purposeful, even in this area of our lives, God, as it fuels so much else. And may we, as a church this season as well, um, be good stewards of the funds that you lead to us so we can be a blessing to our neighborhood, our city, and the world beyond us. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.